1 Peter 1, verse 13 through 21. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be bought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb who without blemish or defect, he has chosen before the creator of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake, though you believe in God who raised him from the dead and be glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Thank you for reading scripture for us this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of First Thessalonians, uh, but before I dive into that, I have a question for you. If I could tell you when and how you were going to die, would you want to know? <laughs> I'm seeing lots of no's <laughs> from the crowd this morning. Um, that's good. This is a question that people have struggled with or thought about, thought through for centuries. Some people would say yes. If they knew that they were going to die, then they could make sure that you know, they did all of the things that they wanted to do before that eventually took place. And some people, like most of us this morning, say no. We say, and no would be my answer as well, if I knew when I was going to die, then I would live every moment of every day with the weight of knowing that that was coming, just hanging over my head. And the truth is, no one can tell you that information. No matter how much someone might try to convince you of their success in fortune telling, they can't tell you that. But as humans, we have this innate desire within us to know the future, or at least to, to try to know what's coming. Some people look at horoscopes and they look to the stars to see what tomorrow might have for them. Some look at stock trends to see what might happen in the stock markets the next day. And some read the Farmer's Almanac to see what this winter will be like. And I hear it's not going to be a good one if the Farmer's Almanac is correct. And many have written books describing what they think a future world might look like. But more than all of this, all of us hold some sort of hope for what our future might look like. We ask questions like, what will my kids turn out to be like? Will they be good kids? That's what we hope for, right? What will my retirement look like? We hope sun, sun, sunshine, beaches, rainbows, <laughs> And what will happen to me after I die? 
we hope, lots of people will gather to celebrate us and reflect on the good life that we lived. When we think about the future, often we enter into that world of hope, what we hope might happen in the days to come. And what we hope for in the future changes how we face today. And that happens whether we're aware of it or not. And so this morning, I can't tell you when or how you're going to die, (laughs) but I can tell you something else. I can give you hope for what might happen after you die. And that's the hope that we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. Let me pray for us and then we'll open God's word together. God, this morning we know that you are a God of hope. And we know that we can place our hope and our trust in you. And so often in our lives we try and place our hope in so many other things other than you. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds on the hope that you have given to us through your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Last week, we looked at verses 9 through 12. And this morning, we'll be finishing up chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 13 through 18. Today's passage is split up into three separate parts. The first part, I've titled Hope from the Past, in verses 13 through 14. The second, Hope for the Future, in verses 15 through 17, and our last For this morning, what to do with hope in verse 18. Let me read verses 13 through 14 for us and then we'll stop there. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so Paul starts out by saying that he doesn't want the Thessalonians to be uninformed, which is a good idea. And he says, more specifically, he doesn't want them to be uninformed about those who are asleep. And by those who are asleep, Paul really means those who are no longer living, means those who are dead. But Paul uses the word asleep for a reason. Partially, he talks in that way because this is how Jesus described those who were dead. But Paul also uses the word asleep because asleep gives an indication that death is not final. That for all people, Though our physical bodies may pass away, our souls have an eternal destination. And so Paul is addressing a question fundamental to human existence, one humans have been asking forever. What happens to us after we die? Maybe you have asked that question yourself. 
And Paul says that his reason for addressing this question is this, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. When we talk about death, it is inevitable for us to talk about grief, mourning, and loss, because those are the things that we experience when we lose someone close to us. And if you're familiar, most psychologists hold to what is known as the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally, acceptance. For those who don't know Jesus, grief ends there. And really, grief has no end. Just because one eventually moves to accept the situation doesn't mean that they ever stop grieving. For them, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. People die, and that's it. And this was a common way of thinking in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a city filled with people grieving, but without hope. Because... They had not yet come to know Jesus. But Christian psychologists have added on a sixth stage of grief. It's what's known as Christian hope. And Christian hope is different from the world's hope. The world's hope says, I hope this might happen. We say things like, I hope... The Phillies win the World Series, right? We hope that might happen, but we don't know if that will happen. We hope it does, right? We say things like, I hope the economy gets better. Or we say things like, I hope I will see my loved one again someday. But Christian hope says, I know this will happen. Not that it might but that it will. I know I will see my loved one again someday because I have put my faith in Jesus and they have too. I know that one day things will get better because I know that one day Jesus will come back. Christian hope is a stage of deeper healing, one that goes beyond merely accepting a situation, but seeing past the situation, seeing past the trouble in front of us into eternity, where we one day will spend eternity with God in heaven. One day, when every wrong will be made right, there will be no suffering or pain or grief. For those who do know Jesus, death is not the end. And all grief will come to an end. God is a God of certainty. It's a God of clarity. And what he says will come to pass. Death is a reality we all have to face in our lives. We don't like to think about it. And it can be heartbreaking when we face it. But because God loves us, he has given us hope in the midst of it. And as Paul says in verse 14, 
Our hope comes from looking back into the past. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The source of our hope is in the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Jesus was not some mythological god like the Greek gods of the city of Thessalonica, but he was a living, breathing, walking human being with a verifiable existence. Even those who aren't Christians are forced to admit that Jesus was a real person. And the fact that he died points even more to his humanity. But Jesus, he didn't just die. He died the death that all of us deserve. He took all of God's wrath, the punishment for sin, all of that upon himself. He did that so that death would not be the end for us. And Jesus' death wasn't the end. We know that he rose again. In three days, Jesus defeated death by rising from the grave. The tomb was empty. And Jesus appeared to his disciples so that people actually experienced the risen Jesus. And at the end of verse 14, here is the hope that Paul has been getting at. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection that God will bring us out of death and into our resurrection. It is because we have seen Jesus raised from the dead that we know that that can happen for us as well. And so if we are ever in need of hope, all we have to do is look to the past. This is the reminder that Paul thought the Thessalonians needed. In the face of their persecution, in the face of their secular philosophy, they needed to be reminded of the work that Jesus had done for them. It's a reminder that we need today just as much. Jesus died and rose again. For him, death was not the end. And for us, death is not the end either. When we need hope, we don't need a new revelation or a new insight. All we need is to be reminded of what God has already done for us on the cross. So often, when we're facing grief and we're looking for hope, we, we feel lost. But we must remember that Jesus died and rose again to give us the hope that we are looking for. Let's move on to our next section for this morning. Hope for the future. Let me read verses 15 through 17 for us. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so hope does not only come from the past, but Jesus' death and resurrection gives us hope for the future. And this passage, admittedly, is one of the most hotly debated passages in Scripture because it talks about something that has become known as the rapture. And even me saying that word probably sparks some reading or thoughts that you have about that specific event. Rapture simply means being caught up into the clouds. We know with certainty that Jesus is coming back because he has promised to do so. When Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 3, it says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. 23 out of 27 New Testament books talk about the return of Jesus. For every reference to Jesus' first coming in the Bible, there are eight references to his second coming. Jesus is coming back. And so we should live with anticipation that he will. Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to miss this. And I don't want us to miss this either this morning. Jesus is coming back to finish what he started. Have you noticed there is still sin, death, and suffering in our world? We still suffer from grief, pain, and loss. Maybe you've experienced some of that in your life recently. When Jesus comes back, these things will be no more. That is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus, and doesn't that sound good? Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is what we have to look forward to at Jesus' second coming. And we also know with certainty that Jesus' return will be sudden. 
Paul says that there will be a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. Jesus' second coming will be impossible to miss. Many have speculated that Jesus has possibly already returned, or that he might be living among us, but we know that those claims are false, because when Jesus comes back, the whole world will know. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 through 44, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we know Jesus' return will be sudden. No one knows the day or the hour that he will come back. But what we don't know with certainty are some of the specifics of how Jesus will return. What we do know is that Jesus himself will descend out of heaven. The world will be alerted to this happening. And as Paul says, the first first dead in Christ will rise. And Paul's point is that those who have passed before Jesus' return will not miss the resurrection. And in fact, they will rise first. Jesus had a bodily resurrection. He was not just a ghost when he rose again. He had a a body in, in the form of a human. And don't ask me how this bodily resurrection thing works for us, especially for those who have passed before Jesus comes back. But all who have put their faith in Jesus will have this same bodily resurrection. Somehow, by the power of God, our bodies will be restored. The effects of death reversed, and the dead in Christ will rise from their graves. And second, as Paul says, the alive in Christ will rise. Those who are still living when the rapture happens will be taken up as well. And Paul says, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is the family reunion of all family reunions. And this is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. We may pass away. Our loved ones may pass away. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, we will see them again. Doesn't that bring you hope? Is there someone that you are missing this morning? Someone that you long to see again? And the hope that we hold to is that one day you will. And what's important about this passage is not necessarily those specifics that I talked about, the the how it will happen, but the simple fact that it will happen. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for his church, and when he does come, the reunion with him will be glorious. Those who have passed before his coming will not miss it. And we, who are alive, should look forward to his return with excitement. And that excitement changes how we live today. Let's move to our last section for this morning, what to do with hope. 
Let me read verse 18. Pretty simple. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so, maybe you're asking this morning, what do we do with this? It's a good reminder. It's a great reminder. But how does this impact my life today? And Paul's simple command in verse 18, encourage one another with these words. This passage contains the greatest hope of all. To know that death is not the end. To know that grief, suffering, pain, loss will one day be no more. What greater hope could we ask for? And a hope this great demands to be shared with others. If this is the hope that we hold to, we have to share it with other people. People need to hear about this hope. If they haven't heard it yet, they need to hear it for the first time. And if they've heard it a million times, they need to be reminded of it. To the person suffering in the hospital, one day, Jesus is coming back. And their suffering will be no more. To the person shut in in their home, one day, Jesus is coming back. And you will experience ultimate freedom. To the person who lost a child in childbirth, one day Jesus is coming back and you will see that child again. In our darkest hour, in the worst circumstances we could possibly think to face, this hope that Jesus will return and make all wrongs right That's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the hope that we have. And so it's okay to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. This is not a cry of defeat. It's a cry of victory. It's a cry that affirms that the promises that Jesus has made to us will come true. It affirms that Jesus is who he says he is. And it affirms that he loves us enough to come and rescue us forever. And so may we as a church pray together. Come, Lord Jesus. But may we also remind each other often of this hope that we have. If you don't have the words to say, Encourage one another with these words here. Often, it's the best thing that we can do. To not come up with fancy words or words that we think will comfort people. But just to remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so before we close, I do have a warning for us. There is a point where we long for the return of Jesus so much that we are mobilized to do anything today. We should not simply sit around waiting for Jesus to come back. We have work to do. We have people to tell about the hope that we have. And so may we do so. So I can't tell you when or how you will die this morning. But I can tell you what will happen after you die.
It's not a topic we like to talk about, but Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians for a reason, so that we could have this hope too. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he is Lord, you will not perish, but have eternal life. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I invite you this morning to do so, so you can join in this hope with us. And if you need to recommit yourself to Christ, if you need to say that this is the hope that you're holding to, may you do that this morning as well. You know, sometimes I wonder, if we did know the day or the hour of Jesus' return, what would we do? And then as I thought about that more, I said, Well, we're human, so we would live the way that we wanted to until the last minute, (laughs) and then we would give ourselves to Jesus and hope that it would be good enough. But that's not the way God planned it. We don't know the day or the hour. And so it takes faith for us to follow Jesus without knowing. And that faith is what produces hope. Let me pray for us as we close this morning. God, this hope that you have given us, it's not just wishful thinking, but God, it is real and it is helpful and you have given it to us for a reason. And so this morning, may we not just affirm it with our minds, but may we truly accept it and believe it in our hearts. This reality that we face, the fact that death and suffering are still present in our world, it's not an easy one to accept. God, sometimes we wonder why Jesus hasn't come back yet. But God, we know that you have a plan for us. And we know that you want us to live with expectation that one day Jesus will come back. And God, may that expectation change the way that we live today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.